you brought us through all of this. We're aware that even today there are some among us, Lord, who've lost loved ones and that, uh, and that life has gone on. But we need to move on with our life. We need to move on with what you're calling us to be and to do as a body of Christ together. And so though we may struggle with what we've lost, we may struggle with the memories of this past year, we thank you, Father, that you're still our God, that you're still on the throne, and that you are still faithful. We may not understand everything, but you've not called us to understand. You've called us to trust you. And so as we move forward now, Father, into greater freedom in terms of our socializing and greater freedom in terms of what we can do to church here at church, may we never forget that you are the one that's our way maker and that you have brought us through. And now, Lord, for whatever lies in front of us, whatever lies ahead, We are trusting you that as we study your word together and as we do what your word says, that you are preparing us so that regardless of what lies ahead, we will come through this and finish our course with joy and do all that you put us here to do and step into our eternal reward. And for that, we thank you. Now we turn our attention to your word. And fathers, I've already prayed and come to you. I'm trusting you, Lord, that what it is that you want to say to us, to each one of us individually and to us together as a congregation, that you will guide me in my words and guide me in my heart, that I would only say what you want said and only with the spirit that you want it spoken, and that you would give all of us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what you're showing us and saying to us today. And we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For a number of weeks now, we've been looking at this concept of that there's a curtain, and the Bible calls it a veil, that, that separates us, what we consider us, from the reality that's really behind us, and which is the spirit realm. And that the, the, this, this curtain this, that we live behind or live in, in front of is really our mind, our mind and our flesh and our thinking and our, our human understanding of things. But we've discovered what the God, Word of God says, that there is a reality behind that that is eternal, that's affecting our lives every day and in many times during a day. There are spiritual beings out there, angels and their demonic beings out there that have an influence on our lives and that Paul writes to, the, to one of the churches and said, be not ignorant of his devices. And we've seen that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The issues you have in this life are not with people, it's with spirit beings that are working through those people, either good or bad. And so Satan wants us to fight the fight on this side of the curtain with fleshly carnal weapons, and we'll lose every time. This explains why some of you have been losing battles, because you're fighting them on the wrong side of the curtain, not where the real enemy is. The issues that are going on in our world and society today, although there are people involved saying things and doing things, Ultimately, what's behind what's going on is a spirit, spiritual beings, and there is a spiritual drama that's outlined, that's, that's, that's highlighted for us, it's not outlined, in the book of Revelation and other places of the unfolding of events that have been, that have been seen by God eons before, and they're being played out behind this curtain. So it's important to have a, a, a godly perspective of what's going on. And ultimately that shows us God's not being surprised by anything. 
that God still is in control. He may not be controlling everything goes on, but He's still in control. So we can be in control of our lives. We can be in control, not of all the events, but we can be in control of how we react. So we've looked behind this curtain. We pulled it back to see those spiritual things going on, and we may look more at those as we go forward in the future. Then we saw that there's a God behind this, but the God that's behind this curtain is a Father, and how He wants to relate to us. We'll talk a little more about this this morning from a little different uh, point of view. And and then we began to look at... Can you put that picture up? Do you have that picture? I showed you this picture a few weeks. I'm going to lose some of you again. Um, This is a lava cake. And what we talked about is, I didn't know what a lava cake was until we were out for our anniversary a number of years ago, and, and I discovered that a lava cake is a piece of cake with molten chocolate, rich, deep chocolate on the inside. And what makes that cake so special isn't the cake that's on the outside, that when they bring you the plate, that's all you can see. But what makes that cake so special, what makes it so delicious, what makes it unlike other cakes is what's on the inside that you can't see. And I explained to you that that's a visual image of you, of the real value that is in you. It's not in the cake that's the outside. This outside is a curtain. It's a veil the Bible talks about. It calls it our flesh. But what's on the inside of you is just as much behind that curtain because you can't see it as what's behind the curtain in the spirit realm that's going on out there in the world around us and where God lives. So that's what we began to look at last two weeks ago when I was here. We began to look at looking at yourself, who you really are behind that curtain. We saw that 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that there's three parts to you, your spirit, soul, and body. Your body is the part of you that's the cake. It's the part of you that we look at on the outside. And some of your cake is chocolate, some of your cake is vanilla, some of your cake is lemon, some of your cake is, is... But what's on the inside is your spirit, man, and that's who you really are. The outer person that you are is in the process of decaying. That's not a bad confession. Just look at an old picture of yourself and you'll remind yourself that you don't look the way you did 20 years ago if you're at least that age. So this is a temporary house. It's an earth suit. And yet we spend so much of our time and energy investing in this thing and we need to take care of it. I was thinking this morning as I was meditating on this, the Billions of dollars, billions of dollars, not millions, billions of dollars that are spent every year on chemicals and salves and oils and things that are all designed to make sure your house looks the best it possibly can. And there's nothing wrong with making sure it looks good. Pastor Sam Smith used to say, if the barn needs to paint, then paint the barn. But we don't invest our lives in that because that's not who you really, really are. So two weeks ago when we began to look at that, we saw Jesus said an extraordinary thing. Now he's talking to his disciples. He said, for the kingdom of God is in you. We think of the kingdom of God being out there somewhere else. But if you're in Christ, God's kingdom 
is in you. We ended up talking about not only that, God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And all that God is, His wisdom. Think about that. The wisdom of God. Think about the issues in your life that you're facing right now. Or maybe family people or family members are facing. And you, you don't know what to do, so when we don't know what to do, we do, we've developed all kinds of habits. We call people, we go online, which is not the smartest, in fact, it's dumb. Uh, we go online, we consult all kinds of people, consult mediums, they consult all kinds, and that's even dumber. All kinds of things to get answers of people who don't know any more of the answer than you do. And yet the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is dwelling in you. The power of God. We saw last time Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 3, and he's, he's trying to jolt them. He says, I can't believe you. You're acting like you're mere human beings. And see, we think of ourselves, well, I'm just human. Yeah, the outer part of you is, but if you're in Christ, you're not a mere human being. Paul was trying to shock them by saying, and, and the evidence that they were, they were acting, they, were thought of, they thought of themselves as just human beings is that there was fights and divisions among them because they were dealing with each other according to the cake, not the lava chocolate on the inside. They were dealing with each other based on what they could see and the differences they could see. So they were fighting over which, which group within the church they belonged to. Some said, you're a Paul. Some say, you're a Paulus. And Paul says, who do you think I am? I didn't die for you. It's Christ is who you are. So Paul was trying to help them mature and grow up by reminding them of who they were. Not that his words didn't make them that. Reminding them of who they, who they were. So we looked at this, and there's much more we could have looked at. But the question is, if, if, this, if, if this is, if I am, I'll go on and say, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, at least 30 or 31 says, Christ who has been made unto you, righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. He's in you with those things. Righteousness, not yours, His righteousness. He's in you through the Holy Spirit with His wisdom. We just talked about that. He's in you with His sanctification. So many Christians are trying to act holy, and you can't. But His holiness is in you. His redemption is in you now, sitting there looking at me going, He's in you, it's in you now. So the question is, if all of who he is is in me now, how come I'm not experiencing that? How come there's not that kind of victory in my life? And by victory, I mean just overcoming your temptations, overcoming discouragement, overcoming the battles, this within you, the emotional battle. How come I'm still struggling with these things if all of this is in me, Pastor? So the question is, how do I get what God has put in me out into my life so that I can begin to benefit of it from it and others can be, begin to benefit from it.
And what happens is so often we blame God. Well, God, your word says this, then it's not happening. How come? So we blame God, and yet you have to understand in any transaction, we talked about this a number of weeks, maybe it was on a Wednesday night, there's two sides to that transaction. Some person, somebody has to give it, any gift, but you have to receive the gift. You can't just hold your hands and say, how come I don't have this, when the person that has it is giving it to you, and you have to take it, and you have to receive it, and adopt it as your own, and begin to use it as your own. So there's a part of this we have a responsibility for. We can't do God's part, and He won't do our part. So there's a part to play in, in, in bringing what is God has put on the inside of you to the out. And I'll suggest to you now, as I will when we finish this, that this world is in desperate need for what God has already put in you. Your family is in desperate need for what God has already put in you. And there's an enemy who knows that better than we do, who works very hard so that we don't become aware and confident and release who it is that's living in us right now in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. So we're going to look, begin to look at today. And I've just determined, if I've got to take a little while to walk through this, this may be the most important thing you ever hear me teach, yes, amen. is to teach you how to take who God has made you to be on the inside and bring that to the outside. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. How do we learn to get the real you to live on the outside, on this side of the curtain? Or how do we live behind the curtain? That's really the title of this. Ephesians 4, 17. We're going to read this a little scripture today, but it won't hurt you. You'll be okay. This I say that... Now, Paul's just spent three chapters reminding them who they are. He's just spent three chapters telling them what God has done for them. The whole book begins by, Blessed be the Lord God, Lord, God. Blessed be the Lord our God, who's, who, if I don't start it right, I can't get it out right. Who has blessed us with every, who has, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, just as He chose us in, to be in Him in Christ. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. So He starts out by saying, God's adopted you as His child. God's come to live inside of you. He goes on to say that we, have, we are His inheritance and we have an inheritance in Him. And then He prays that God would open the eyes of their understanding. They would see the hope of His calling of their life that's in Christ Jesus and the glory of the inheritance that they have together with all the saints and the exceeding greatness of the power that He displayed towards us when He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He's praying that God would open their eyes to see the greatness of the power that God has placed us on, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. God has put in us. And Paul is praying that God would open their eyes. So he spends three chapters going over what God has done for them. And then chapter 4, he begins to say, Now you need to act like who you are. We'll talk about that a little later on. So that's the background to this. Now I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Whenever you see walk in the New Testament, it's talking about how you conduct your life. That you should no longer walk or conduct your life the way the rest of the Gentiles walk. He's referring to people that don't, are not in Christ. In other words, you shouldn't be walk, living your life the way the world lives. 
in the futility of their mind. The world's trying to figure out answers to their problems by mentally understanding them and coming up with mental answers. And God has given us a mind so that we can figure things out, but not spiritual things. They come as God reveals them to us out of our relationship with Him. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. This is what God's saying now. Being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But now he's going to talk about them, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, the person that you were before you came to Christ. He's still there. He still walks around with you. You still carry him around. But that's not who you are. And Paul is saying, if that's no longer who you are, why are you acting like him? So put that person off. That's the part God can't do for you. Put that person off. It's a daily decision that you make. Sometimes it's a decision in the middle of a situation. And one of the signs you need to put that man off in that situation is when you feel certain emotions. Anger, jealousy. Now there's a certain righteous anger, but by and large, that's not what we feel. Anger, jealousy, those emotions that rage in us are not me. That's my old man. And what I've learned is when they raise up in the middle of a situation... Something happens and someone will get mad at somebody or I want to, I feel hurt or jealous or those kind of emotions. I've trained myself. I'm not perfect in it. I've trained myself when those rise up in me to say, oh, that's just you. That's my old man. I'm, that's not who I am anymore. And I can walk away from those emotions and what they're trying to tell me to do because I've trained myself. That's not who I am. So when those emotions stir in you, When you find some, even when this COVID broke over a year ago, I remember being in here with a staff that morning praying. And as I shared with you several weeks ago, these thoughts were bombarding my mind. You, you, you know, how are you ever going to lead a church through this? The church can't even meet. They're all going to disappear. The money will all dry up. It's all over. Those were the thoughts that bombarded my mind. And you had your own thoughts bombarding you. But I've trained myself to turn inside and say, that's not who I am. And begin to, and I ended last week, two weeks ago, by telling you the story of when I was in court and found myself in this overwhelming situation where the judge and everybody else was against me. And when I pulled aside, instead of reacting and turned inside, and I listened, God gave me an answer of something only He knew and it turned the whole case around. And what I didn't share with you is is because of that one question God gave me to ask in a courtroom, that company was saved and and jobs were saved. It wasn't my wisdom, it wasn't my understanding, but it was what I trained myself to do. And I'm far, far from perfect at it. And I want to share this with you so much because I'm watching as over the last few years, I've been doing more and more what I'm going to teach you to do. Is I'm this is is God in me is becoming so much more. I've been a Christian 43 years, and I'm experiencing the reality of Him in my life as a person, like I never have before. 
And I'm jealous for you for that, that you can have a taste of that. There's certain fears that I've dealt with in my life and what I'm finding happening is now in, instead of experiencing those fears as in me, I'm beginning to experience them outside of me. That's not me. That's not who I am. I don't have to accept that fear. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I've known that. I've preached that scripture for years. But it's becoming a reality in my life. Not because I preach the scripture, but because I've been doing the things I'm going to teach you how to do. It takes work, but the rewards of it are literally out of this world in, while you're still in this life. So that's why this is worth taking a little bit of time to go through. So he says, verse uh, 22, putting off the concerning the, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, verse 23, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind, we'll come back there in a second, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. This is not something God's going to do for you. This is something God has already put in you. You have been recreated. We look at that, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, creation. The word new creature there means, I told you last time, literally means in the Greek, a new species of being. One that never existed before. I don't have time to get into it. But it's a combination of God and man together. Because when God became a man incarnate, He created a new species of being. And that's what's sitting next to Him on the throne. A new species of being. And you are one of those if you're in Christ. But that being is on the inside. So Paul's saying, here's what you have to do. This is what you have to do. You have to, and every day, you've got to put that old man off. He's never going to go away until you leave this earth. But you have to make the choice to not pay attention to him. That's, that's not who you are. He's got a long memory, and he's got all kinds of things from your past and memories from your past he can bombard you with, but that's, you are, that's not who you are. So you have to consciously put that old man off. And I set myself every morning to do this. And then you've got to put on the new man. And you can't put on something you don't have. Last night we got home from vacation. I went down to my closet and I picked this suit out. I couldn't have put this on if I didn't already, if this suit was not already mine. But you have to, it's who you are, but you have to put it on in terms of your actions, your thoughts. And, and look at this new man. Put on the new man, this is verse 24, which was created according to God. Which was created according to God. The, the New Living Translation says, put on your new nature created to be like God. The, the literal Greek when it says according to God means after the image and pattern of God which is created in God in true righteousness and holiness. 
already, we already looked at 1 Corinthians 5.17. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1, chapter 2. Chapter, chapter, second, I'm still coming back from vacation. Second, Tim, second Peter, chapter 1, verse 2. Okay. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge or through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His, divi- His divine power. Think of what that is. His divine power. The power that created the universe the power that raised Christ from the dead, as His divine power has given to us. Not when you get to heaven. See, religion, Christian religion, teaches that, that, that what God has done for you is all in the sweet by and by. And what's there is literally out of this world. But the kingdom of God's here. That doesn't do the world any good. That's not the fruit Jesus talked about us bearing. Has given to us all all things pertaining to life. That word is the life of God. Life at the level where God lives it. And godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, verse 4, by which He has given to us. Notice the past tense in all of this. He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of this is, if this doesn't say it, I don't know if I can even say it, that you could become partakers of the divine nature. The nature of God. Partaker means you're enjoying it. Partaker means you're experiencing it. Partaker means it's a reality in your life of the divine nature that is having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is what God has has done for us. Now, this truth has to become more real to us than the so-called realities of this world. As I've said over and over again, almost all of us live with a much greater sense of reality of what's on this side of the curtain. Right now, some of you are, are, are fighting tiredness. That's on this side of the curtain. Some of you are fighting hunger. That's in your stomach. That's on this side of the curtain. Some of you are, 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 are fighting pains in your body. That's on this side of the curtain. Some of you are just, there are issues that are emotional things. That's on this side of the curtain. And I'm not saying they're not real, but they're not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is on what's on the other side of the curtain, and what we're looking at is that's in you. And your answer and your deliverance from most of those things, if not all of them, is coming from what inside of you. I sh- shared with you last time. Physical healing doesn't drop down out of heaven. It comes out of you. If you need healing in your body this morning, that healing is in you. It's in you. Now. It flowed out of Jesus. Well, His Spirit that was the anointing to do that is in you. Now. But we have to learn to do this. We have to learn to become more conscious of that reality than of this temporal, fleshly, earthly reality. That has to become more real to us, more conscious of that. You say, well, that's impossible. No, because I've known people that have done it, and I'm growing in it. I'm not there. It's a process. 
Brother Hagen used to share over and over again. He said, the Lord Jesus is more real to me than even my own family. doesn't mean he didn't love his family, but they, he could only be emotionally close to them. He could only be physically close to them. But a spiritual closeness, a spiritual union is infinitely more intimate. A gentleman from years ago named Frederick Faber wrote amazing things about the passion that he burned with. The passion for Christ. The passion for the Holy Spirit. The passion. That doesn't come out of a book. That doesn't come out of reciting. That comes out of a relationship. What, what drives people today to leave the safety of their home and to go into Muslim countries and other countries where it's illegal to be a Christian and to share the gospel? What motivates people to do that? I remember a Christian from Malam came. He comes every, almost every year. He, he came the first time he came. He preached his signature message is why I preach the gospel. And one of them was because there was a Baptist, once he got saved, where he was. He was a, had been a Muslim. His father was high up in the, in the army. And if somebody baptizes a Christian in a Muslim nation, they'll kill you. And this Baptist pastor, American, found out that he was saved, and he let him down, and he baptized him, and he was executed. And Christopher says, he's why I preach the gospel. You don't do that because you believe in some ideology. The book of martyrs and the things that the church is going... But it's happening today in other parts of the world. Why would people continue to to be strong in their faith? You can't be strong in your faith when what you believe in seems to be failing. But if you have a personal relationship that's real and vibrant, that's part of your life every day, you can't deny that. You could tell me you saw my wife coming out of an X-rated movie theater. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care what you saw, that's not my wife. I know her. Next week we'll be married 54 years. I know her. I don't still learning things. <laughs> but I know that's not something she would ever do because I know her. I know her. So I'm trying to whet your appetite so that you will begin to not just hear a message, but with what I'm experiencing, you can begin to taste this in your life. And you need it desperately to wake up in the morning. And you may have to, sometimes I wake up and it's like, but I, have, I know where to go to. And by the time I go there, I'm alive. And I'm not always having, you know, the, the jumping up and down and running around. Sometimes that's great, but it doesn't always last. It's the inner growth, day by day, moment by moment. And it often happens as you face the challenges, the choice you make, the choice you make. So we have to learn to live in this reality. And so how do we do that? Ephesians 4, 23. Put that back up. We just talked about it. But be renewed, changed in the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? It's basically the way you think. Be renewed, be changed, be transformed in the spirit of your your mind. Colossians 3.10. Do you have that to put up? It's okay, I can read it to you. Which is the same idea. 
Oh, there we go. And have, and have put, you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Did I go to the wrong place? No. Okay. This new man was renewed. That means changed into a new kind of life. And the scripture I really wanted to get to is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. I've decided what I'm going to do, because I mentioned this before, I was going to do this on a Wednesday night. When I'm done with this series, which will be in a week or so, I'm going to teach you the course I taught for years in the School of Ministry on renewing your mind. We get into the details to understand what your mind really is, how it works. Not a scientific study, a biblical study. And give you some tools for doing what I'm talking about today. But this is the key verse. Do not be conformed to this world. The word conform there is a word that means to change what's on the outside by external pressure. I don't know how they do it now, but they used to mint coins, M-I-N-T, coins, by taking a piece of some kind of alloy or metal, maybe it used to be silver, and then they would have a mold that would have the negative imprint of what they want on the surface of this coin. And then by sheer pressure, they would press down on that clean metal. And when the pressure came down on it and was relieved, the outside of that coin now had the opposite image of what that mold has. And that's what the world does to us. There's pressure on you. There's pressure on your mind. There's pressure on your flesh to act a certain way, to believe certain things. To, to, there's pressure from the outside to make you look on the outside the way the world looks. And it's done by pressure. That's what that word conformed says. It says, be not conformed to this world. So if the Bible, if God's telling us to not be conformed to this world, then it has to be possible to not be conformed to this world. But, what are, but you can't stop there. You have to do the positive side. But be transformed. The word transformed there is a very different Greek word. It's the word metamorphomai. And, and you'll often hear it means to change, to be transformed, to be changed. But I've done an in-depth study of this word. And it literally means to take what's the nature on the inside and to bring it to the outside so that it can be enjoyed and experienced. So the, the best, you know, the typical example is, is a caterpillar. This ugly little thing that crawls around on your tree at some point will curl up, spin a cocoon around it, and then it, when a certain time has elapsed, it will break out into this beautiful butterfly. But that nature was in the caterpillar. But you wouldn't, can't enjoy the beauty of that caterpillar and the freedom that that, that that had in it, the potential, until it actually went through a process of dying so that its real nature could burst forth and could be enjoyed. That's what that word means. We get metamorphosis out of it. So what Paul is saying is, don't allow the pressure from the outside world to change the way you act and the way you think so that you don't look any different and you don't talk any different and you don't 
You don't walk any different than the world does, but there's pressure on you to do that. But here's what you are to do. You are to go through this transformation process to take the kingdom of God, all that we've been talking about, the molten lava that's on the inside, and allow that to come to the outside. And the way you do that is by the renewing of your mind. And notice what's at stake, that you may prove, demonstrate what is the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. There is so much at stake in God's desires and God's heart and God's plan. There's so much at stake in people's lives with whether we learn to do this or not. Because the only example of the will of God, the good, the acceptable and perfect will of God, is what people see in you and me. And if they're seeing the imprint of the world that's pressured us, they're not going to notice any difference. Oh, we may talk about God. We may talk about Jesus. But they're going to look at the way you live to decide what's real, not the talk. And so God wants to prove to the world, in fact, there's scriptures I'll show you, He wants to prove it to the angels what His will is through you and me. He's already put that will. He's already put that ability. He's already put His character and nature in you, but it doesn't do the world any good if it stays dormant in us. And there's a battle going on every day. Pressure on you, on me, to live act, talk, just like the world. And I want you to see today, what's at stake is not how you feel. What's at stake is not how comfortable you are or uncomfortable. What's at stake has nothing to do with you at all, ultimately. What's at stake is what God wants to show to this world of who He really is and what He wants to do in their lives. But all they can see is the imprint on the outside. So is that coming from the pressure of the world? Or is that coming as His nature is beginning to come out of me as I'm transformed to the outside? But the way that happens is by the renewing of your mind. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say it comes by prayer. Prayer's a process. Prayer's one of the tools we'll teach you. But prayer, it's by you changing how you think. And only you can do that. But we're going to give you some tools to help you do that and inspire you to do that. So, we're not going to finish this today, but I want to give you the opening of this. God's... So you have to learn to change how you think about who you really are inside. And no longer think of who you are based on the outside. You'll slip because the old man's still there. You're still carrying him around. And until you learn, and this is what God's grace is for, until you learn, all right, that, that was the old man. Lord, I repent of that. That's not who I am. Because the devil wants you to think that's who you are. Well, see, you, you blew it again. God doesn't use again. Because when you confess it, he's forgiven it and forgotten it. There you go. You do it again. You'll never change. God says you will. God says He's changed you. 
So if you talk about yourself as I'll never change, you don't believe you really are in Christ because God's already changed you. So the, ba- the battle is not getting you to something from the outside. It's you to think differently about who you are so that who God's made you to be on the inside can begin to come to the outside. John 6.63 So God has ordained His Word to transform us, to do this process as we put it in our heart. John 6.63 It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, which we invest so much time in, profits nothing. Jesus said, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. God's Word is alive. Hebrews says that. Quicker. Sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word is the same Word as if God stood here today and spoke it to you. Proverbs 4. We'll probably go back over some of this. I, these are words, things I go over almost every day. So if His words are spirit and life, this is God's advice to us. My son, give attention to my words. And yet we give attention to almost everything else. Oh, we, so you can't do this just going to church on Sunday. Even, I appreciate your being here, but this is not enough. This is, this is something, you have to make up your mind, do I want to allow who God's made me to be to come out in my life? And you're the first person that will enjoy it. You can't lose. The more you give away what's on the inside of you, the more it flows through you, the more you experience it, the more you get to enjoy it in the middle of all kinds of chaos. It, doesn't, it can't touch you. We've looked at Paul, all the things that came against him. And he had emotions. He said, I'm, I'm, dis- I'm, I'm pressed down, but I'm not crushed. I'm discouraged, but I'm not in despair. When I was growing up, we had a little toy that we would get sometimes. And this will date me and some of you. Weebles. What was it about weebles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. A weeble was a little wooden thing, I think it was wooden, where the center of gravity was kind of shaped like an upside-down ice cream cone. And in the center of gravity was in the bottom, and so you could hit it, it would go over, but it would pop back up again. That's what Paul was like. They got to hit him and knock him down, but they couldn't keep him down. He would pop back up again. But what popped him back up again was the secret he learned, which we'll talk about, which is who's in him. Would you like to be able to pop back up again? Every time you're knocked over, pop back up again? Satan doesn't want you popping back up again. He wants you to staying down for the count. But there are people whose lives God wants to touch through you that it's so important that you pop back up again. You'll get knocked down, but do you pop you can't pop yourself back up again. I've got to bring this to a close. I'll just go through this quickly. My son, so he's talking out of way, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That's an intentional decision to listen. Just because words are going into your ear canal and hitting your eardrum doesn't mean you're listening and every wife says, yes, I understand what that's like. He nods his head. 
with the remote control in his hand and said, yes, dear, mm-hmm. And I know the words hit his eardrum, but it went right on through to the other side. And we all do that. We've got to learn to listen. But it starts by a decision to listen, really listen, because I want to hear what God's saying to me through His Word. Verse 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes. That doesn't mean you walk around like this all the time. But what are you thinking about when you're driving your car? Just playing music? That's okay, depending on what you're listening to. But what are you thinking about all the time? What are you doing when, you're, when you don't have to be doing something else? I talk to myself in the shower. Actually, I talk to God in the shower. But I'm doing this when I do that. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep, keep them in the midst of... We'll talk about this as we go forward. Keep them in the midst of your heart. There is such a battle for what's getting sown into your heart. Right now, I'm sowing... God's sowing seeds of truth into your heart. But there are other things trying to get into your heart. Why? We'll see why that's so important in just a minute. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For why? Their life. Again, that's a word, God's life. Life at the level God lives it. They are life to those who find them. And look at this. Their health. Some translations say medicine to all your flesh. God's Word in you. Verse 23. This is one of the most power, important verses in the Bible. Keep, some translations say, guard your heart with all diligence. Now, we're talking in the beginning, God's smarter than we are. God's infinitely wiser than we are. And this is the counsel God is giving to His children. Guard your heart with all diligence. Some of you have in your home uh, security devices, cameras, and they've got cameras now where, where, where you can see who's at your door with a pizza butt guy coming or whether it's somebody, you know, with a crowbar coming. <laughs> so you can, we, we, we all kinds of spend money to guard our house and our possessions. And those are all pff, transitory things. But look at this. For out of it, Flow, some of the translate flow the issues, the forces of life. Yes. They flow out of your heart. So what's getting sown into your heart? We're going to end here because I'm, this is just the, we're just, I'm introducing this to you this morning. We're going to spend some time learning how to do this and then we're going to go into understanding, renewing the mind. Break that whole thing down so that when you're, we're done with this, you will have understanding and tools, and then you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. But my role is to give you the understanding and to give you the tools so that you can do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You've laid it all out for us. And you're so gracious. You're so loving. You're so kind. But you're a father. And because you're our Father, you love us. And because you love us, you will correct us. You will chastise us if needed so that you can produce through your Word what your Word calls the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You paid everything you have, your precious Son's life, so that you could legally come and live inside of us. 
And most of us, if not all of us, have wasted so much of our lives with you living inside of us, having little, if any, effect. And you've been so patient and kind. And Father, as we begin to get greater understanding and re- repent of, this, of our laziness and whatever it is that's held us back, we're asking you as we go from this place today that the seeds that have been sown into our hearts will be watered and will begin to germinate and take root and begin to grow in our lives and the reality of who you are in us the reality of all that you've put in us and the nature you've put into us and who you've made us to be together becomes more and more real to us that your kingdom will indeed come to this earth your will indeed will be done and this earth as it's done in heaven. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Before we close, I want to do...